Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Katie Beal-Brown of Lone River Beverage Company. Listen as Katie shares stories of her upbringing in West Texas, along with her family's deep roots and her passion for ranch water, a West Texas cocktail. With this upbringing and a realization of an opportunity, Katie launched Lone River Beverage Company and can now be found in many grocery stores nationwide. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Katie Beal-Brown of Lone River Beverage Co. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like? So I grew up in a small town in West Texas. Have you ever been to Texas before? A couple times, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So West Texas is a pretty remote part of Texas. I'm sure you probably didn't venture out that way. There's not much out there. Um, But my family actually settled in the area over 100 years ago. So my roots run pretty deep um, in West Texas. And my family um, has a working ranch in far West Texas, which if you can imagine is even more remote than um, West Texas. I think it's about three hours to the nearest airport. So I really grew up kind of, you know, in that small town community, but also um, our family spent a ton of time out on our family ranch. And that's really kind of been like the foundation of a lot of our family milestones and moments and memories. And um, that's where I spent a ton of time with my grandparents as well. And Mm. A lot of the things that they instilled in me as a child um, came from my time out there with them and um, just a lot of the lessons we learned and really understanding what it means to have a work ethic and really roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty. Mm. Um, And so that's kind of, you know, where I grew up, small town, remote part of the country, um, but really strong community and definitely a very distinct way of life out there. Mm. For sure. I'm curious, growing up with that family heritage and on the ranch, like what was your aspirations of growing up and were you interested in sports or what, what did you aspire to do? Yeah, I mean, it's really ironic now because I basically spent my whole childhood trying to find ways to get out of our small town. And I always thought like I meant for bigger things. I remember the first time um, my grandmother took me to New York City. I was just blown away by like the size and scale of the city and the energy and all of the different kind of like businesses there. And Hmm. I just always felt like I'm destined for bigger things than this small town that I'm stuck in. Um, And the irony of it all is, you know, the business that I started in Lone River Beverage Company actually took me back to that small town and really celebrating the roots and the way that I grew up. And I think the more time that I spent away from that small town, the more I realized like how much it made me who I am Mm. and how unique and special it was to grow up that way. Um, And the values that it instilled with me that I really carried throughout every part of my life. Mm, For sure. So I'm curious, what were uh, your grade school years like, especially leading into college as well? Um, What did you study going into college and what was that time like? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, when I think back on growing up, so my family has a family business that's um, been run for several generations, Mm -hmm. but my dad was always, always had this very entrepreneurial spirit, even though he went to work in our family business. Um, Mm -hmm. And he always had like little projects and things that he was tinkering with. And that always was very attractive to me and something that I kind of just grew up around and almost like aspired to like having these little projects and hobbies and passions myself. Yeah. And um, I think from a very young age, you know, I don't know, 
I assume it's because like seeing my dad and how he operated that way, but I always had these like very big dreams and goals. And, you know, some of them didn't make a lot of sense, but I always was kind of aspiring to something. And yeah, an example I'll give you. Um, so I actually in kindergarten decided that I wanted to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. And so I convinced my entire kindergarten class to try to make the longest paper chain in history, um, which <laughs> we didn't quite get there. But I think for me, like the exciting part of it and what I've always been driven by is more just the process of trying to achieve something that almost seems like a little bit out of reach. Yeah. Um, and you know how much I grow and learn from that. And so I think back to a lot of those different moments and goals and things and how that's led me to the journey that I'm on today and For sure. how, you know, I get so much fulfillment out of the process of trying to get there. And it's almost even more rewarding to me than actually accomplishing the thing that I thought that I wanted to accomplish. Because a lot of times, yeah. you know, I haven't achieved those goals to the extent that I thought that I would, but it's taken me down a path that's led me to something else. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty of having that kind of mindset, um, which I sense have learned is called a growth mindset. And yeah. learning that terminology has really unlocked a lot for me just in thinking about whenever I get stuck in life or in business, like I always try to put myself in a position where I have to learn something new. Mm. And that just opens my mind up to the possibility of what I can do, the possibility of what, you know, I might be able to create. And yeah. so even if it's a small skill that has nothing to do with what I'm doing at the time, I always find it to be just you know, very freeing to get into the process of learning again and trying to challenge myself um, to do something new. Mm. Incredible. I love that. And going into also school and specifically college, what what did you get into when you you were in great in college? Did you get into any clubs and what, what was that like? You had a lot of aspirations and ambitions. I'm curious. Yeah. So I think um, when I was in high school, I actually I thought I wanted to go to art school. Um, I was very passionate about art and I thought I might want to do something in design. I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. Um, and at the last minute before I decided, so I applied to a lot of the art schools throughout the US and at the last minute, um, I kind of decided like, I don't know if I actually want to put myself in that down that specific path, specific path of only doing art. Like what if I want to change my mind and explore something else? And I ended up going to um, Southern Methodist University in Texas instead. Mm -hmm. um, but I started out studying art there. And then over time, um, I actually decided to get into this new major that they created the year that I was a freshman called Markets and Culture. Mm -hmm. um, and it really was kind of a mix of anthropology, sociology, and business. And so it brought a lot of these things together that I was just naturally interested in. Yeah. Um, but it didn't have like this set career path attached to it. I mean, it was a new major. There wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, if I tell people my major, even now it was markets and culture, people are like, oh, okay, so marketing. I'm like, well, not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, and I ended up, um, having a double major in studio art as well. So I guess to be totally honest, like my life and my career path, it hasn't been a straight line. I've mm. always kind of followed my passions and interests. And somehow that has led me to a journey where looking at all those pieces and all those steps, 
it has started to make sense, but there yeah. has been a lot of times when I felt like, what am I doing? What am I going to do? I don't know. Like, it wasn't like I went to school and said, I want to be a lawyer and yeah. had this like destined path that I always knew I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so that's a very long answer. No, for sure. I'm curious then, um, once you got that degree specifically, I'm curious, the listeners are curious, but um, what did you end up doing? I, I, I looked at your resume, looked at your LinkedIn, I see the journey that you took. Um, can you explain kind of after college what you ended up doing? So I graduated um, during a major recession and yeah. it basically was like, get any job you can get because they're few and far between. And I ended up taking an unpaid internship as kind of my first job out the gates. Um, and it was in a kind of, um, it was like more of a creative outlet around the fashion industry. Um, but it mm. was just this crazy experience because I was working like, you know, 12 to 16 hour days. I wasn't getting paid a dime, yeah. but I just felt really motivated to like get out there in the workforce in some way and start to prove myself that I could, you know, like rise to the occasion, even in an industry that I knew nothing about. Um, yeah. So, and I, it's funny now because I feel like the days of the unpaid internship don't really exist anymore, but yeah, I think it just set, like, it gave me the mentality of any job I had after that. Like, I felt very grateful to be there for and sure. I never took that for granted, even if, you know, there were jobs that I wasn't that excited about or over time, I felt like I wanted to do something else. I still was so grateful just to have an income and an opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, I think sometimes like with these next generations, without having that foundation of working so hard to even get your first job, like it just, yeah. you don't have the same kind of gratitude when you're approaching everything. And I think you're just kind of set up for disappointment in a yeah. way. No, I totally agree. And uh, I, I strongly personally advocate for um, unpaid internships. I took one out of, or yeah. during school as well. And I remember just emailing, cold emailing, specific yes. places I wanted to be, the position I wanted to be in. And because of unpaid and the sole reason of no return expected other than experience um, led to greater opportunities. So I, I strongly advocate for that as well. It gives you like a different kind of hustle, I think, yeah. when you have to start that way. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's where I started. And then I, um, over time, I went to work at a startup. Um, you know, they had a really interesting technology they were trying to bring to the market. And then by way of that, I actually landed down a career path of working in advertising, mm. which ended up being a really good fit for me. And I wish I had figured it out much earlier um, because in advertising, you get to learn a lot about different businesses and different industries and the challenges that they have and how they're communicating with their consumers. And so I think it really helped me like hone some of those entrepreneurial skills because mm. I was looking at a lot of different types of businesses and trying to understand how they work and how they mm. can be more successful. Mm. Um, and I think also just understanding like how they're finding ways to communicate with their consumer in a way that's really resonant. Mm. Um, so that then was really fun to kind of land in advertising and feel like, okay, actually this might be like the career I was meant to do. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it, again, it wasn't a straight line. I took the circuitous route there. I wish I had majored in it. <laughs> I would have had way more of a foundational knowledge of what I was doing, but I was always a person that was happy to start and work from the ground up. And yeah. I was like the first person to get there, last person to leave. That's just how 
I've approached every job. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'm always going to work the hardest. Mm. I love that. I would love to hear what what kind of industries did you focus on when you are when when you were in your advertising? I'm sure it was a variety, but what what would you say you specialized in in that time period personally? I mean, the fun part about advertising is you really get to do a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah. I worked on a lot of different kinds of brands and industries. I worked in cars, in food and beverage, in mm. CPG, in um, pharmaceuticals. I mean, you really, and there's so many nuances to a lot of these industries and the products and the different mm. conglomerates that own them. Um, so I actually, that to me was the best part. I I don't think I ever really wanted to like specialize in a, in a specific industry or type of client because yeah. I actually got a lot of like energy and inspiration around just learning about something new. Like um, at one point, one of my clients, um, I worked on a couple of different brands for Hershey. Okay. Um, so, you know, Reese's, Hershey, like classic candy brands. And wow. I just was so interested in like the history of how it all came about. I read like a book of the, of the Hershey history and that mm. kind of gave me like, it allowed me to sink my teeth into more of what we were doing and how it's evolved into the, into today and how consumers think about candy and sugar and all of that. Um, mm. and so I, again, like, I'm just kind of giving you like an example of, you know, these are the things that in advertising, like I found to be really exciting. And I liked to just like go really deep on these clients and mm -hmm. really understand like the genesis of their business, but then also like, what are the challenges they're facing today and how can yeah. advertising help solve that? Talking on facing challenges in business, one massive one that I've been facing that's universal is how do I retain my focus with balancing many projects? For example, this episode, that's researching, editing, publishing, interviewing, and much more. To be completely transparent, increasing my caffeine, such as coffee, increases my energy, my focus, but that gives me the jitters and decreases my mood. I found this little green shot. It's called Magic Mind. I've been drinking it for about three weeks now, and I've been noticing a massive change in my overall focus, energy, and mood. It's a perfect formulation balance of functional ingredients such as ashwagandha and lion's mane, which is obviously known for benefiting the brain. As someone who's constantly busy with different projects, my focus is necessary to be able to complete that with maximizing my output. Finding Magic Mind was a huge remedy. I highly recommend you guys check it out, so make sure to check out Magic Mind at magicmind.com. They're these little green drinks. Drink it in the morning, substitute your caffeine, and make sure to use code STARTINGSMALL20, and you can save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL20 for 20% off. And there's also a very generous code, 56% off, if you use the link in this description. I'd like to hear, how does then Lone River Beverage Company come out of here? You're in advertising for a few years. You mentioned you worked in CPG with some clients. Did, yep. did that have a huge inspiration on this launch? And what was that, if you can explain? So I started my career in advertising in Texas. And then after I got married, my husband actually got a job in New York. So we had the mm. chance to live in New York. We were young and we were kind of at the beginning of our careers. And um, and when we got there, he basically said to me, like, you have a month to find a job or we're going to run, run out of money. So I went out and basically took any interview I could in any industry. Again, like ended up at um, with the opportunity to work at one of the best advertising agencies in the world, but mm. had to start from the ground up. And yeah. I think more so my experience living in New York really like, I think helped me get to the point of formulating this idea than working in 
advertising gave me the tools to do it. Yeah. Living in New York and being so far from home. I mean, I grew up in a small town. This was a really big transition for me. For sure. Um, I think that really shaped like how I got to the idea because when I was there, when I would tell people where I grew up or where I came from, you know, a lot of people had no frame of reference. This small town in Texas where it, where it's from, like what the culture is like there. Mm. And so I started to find little references and things that I could pull into the conversation to give them more context into like who I am and where I come from. And mm. this cocktail called Ranch Water yeah. actually kind of became like my party trick to be able to tell people more about where I come from. So Ranch Water um, is a cocktail. It's traditionally made with tequila, soda, lime, and it's actually been a bar call out in far west Texas since the 1960s. Um, mm. but more than a drink, there's actually a legend behind it. So in West Texas, it's said that it was originally concocted by a wild-haired rancher who, after drinking it, followed miles of Texas stars until he fell asleep under a pinon tree. Wow. And this wild-haired rancher, the place that he concocted it is actually the same spot as my family's ranch. Wow. So I always felt like really connected to that story and the drink and you know, telling people like what a ranch water was, I would find them then like wanting to tell their friends like, oh, let's get a ranch water. And um, it just started to kind of get traction in my social circles up there. And mm. so I started to see the emergence of hard seltzer and it just felt like there was never a brand for me in that category. And it felt like a sea of sameness, you know, skinny cans, fruity flavors. There wasn't something that I loved the idea of a seltzer and yeah. a lot of the a lot of the kind of like markers of it and benefits that it's lighter, um, gluten free, like all those kinds of things. But mm. I there wasn't a brand that I really could connect with. And so that's where it started to percolate in my head of what if we took this cocktail from West Texas and put it in a can and made it a hard seltzer, but really use this as an opportunity to, to tell the story of where ranch water comes from and the culture that it represents in far west texas and mm. what i learned in the process is that you know while i thought about that culture as like this is a small place on the map where i come from yep it's actually a culture that was resonant with way more people across the u.s than i ever expected because i think it's really emblematic of like the american west and For what sure. people think of that um and so that's something that I think like it's helped us evolve into over time, mm. like taking out of taking it out of just like this comes from West Texas to like this actually represents the Western lifestyle in a way. Yeah, I would love to hear um, those early days of you deciding deciding that you actually want to launch this drink. What did that prototyping process look like? The design, the the tasting. What did you look for when you wanted to formulate the drink? Kind of those early stages for you. Yeah. So. I think in the early days, the hardest part is you don't really know where to start. Yeah. Um, so I just tried to be like a sponge of information and talk to anybody that I could that had any connection to how the alcohol industry, any brands in the alcohol industry, um, any manufacturers in the alcohol industry. So each of those conversations kind of gave me like a nugget of information that then would carry me into the next step. Mm. Um, but really, because of my background in advertising, like the part that felt most natural for me to really start on um, was starting to bring the brand to life and what that looked like and what that stood for. Yeah. Um, so that was something, you know, while I was working in my nine to five job, 
I was kind of on the side, like I would work with some designers that I knew to say like, this is my vision and how I think it can come to life. And we would tweak it and kind of evolve it, um, you know, just in our free time, just to say like, okay, if we brought this to life, this is what it could look like. Mm. Uh, and then once that started to really take shape, um, we had gotten enough of that, like enough of those connections from those, all those little conversations um, to get in to somebody that could actually help us create the liquid in a way that would be able to be mass produced mm. and shelf stable and all of those things that you need to create a product that goes yeah. into a store. So those two things, we then, they started to kind of come together. And, you know, I think there was a point a couple of months into that where we felt like, okay, we have a liquid that's great. And I think this could really work. And then we have a brand that feels like what we want it to represent. And mm. so um, that's when I think it really started to feel real. And, you know, we realized like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to have, because everything to that point, I would just siphon off like a little bit of our own personal money to put into it. Yeah. But at that you know, once we had the liquid and the packaging and all of that, it was like, okay, we need real capital to go out and make this happen. Um, mm. So I think that was like a really pivotal moment at totally. that point. Totally. So you, you mentioned capital. Did you end up doing a raise at the beginning for production? And what did that look like yes. if you can share? We did. So we, in the alcohol business, you can't actually sell your product directly into a store yourself. You have to have a distributor. Yeah. Uh, so we went and we actually pitched it to a distributor and once and that was it was one of the biggest anheuser bush distributors in the country and wow. when they said yes we were like okay it's go time like we have to go fund a full production run and get this out into the market mm. that's when coming out of that meeting we went out and we immediately started to raise money and we started with you know, a small group of friends and family that then kind of extended out a little beyond that. But um, our first fundraise was really all just friends and family or friends of friends mm -hmm. um, kind of putting in what they could. And so that's what funded and jump started the real business part of it in our first production run. Amazing. I'd love to hear then uh, how that how that went. What um... Was it a specific retailer that you went into or what What was that? Yeah, so we, um, so once we knew we could fund that production run and we had our distributor in place, um, we went and we pitched the biggest retailer in Texas. Mm -hmm. And this was December, 2019. And we actually learned that they were going to put us on shelf um, in all their stores in Texas, but we had to have the product delivered by April 1st. Mm. So it was then like, okay okay, we have, we have to sprint to April 1st to get this all ready to go. Yeah. And all the things we need to go to market. Um, and like, you know, nothing was going to stop us. However, you know, as we all know, as we got into March, the global pandemic started to unfold. Yeah. And so everything you can possibly imagine that could go wrong went wrong in our mm. supply chain. And it was just a constant like bob and weave of trying to get you know, things connected and this here and that there um, and problem solving. And by the grace of God, our product got to the retailer by April 1st. And I think that wow. really, you know, that really changed the fate of our business. If we had missed yeah. that window, I'm not sure we would have um, experienced a kind of, you know, early traction that we did. Mm. Um, I, it's hard to gauge because you guys just got into retail at that time. But I'm curious 
what kind of impact did COVID especially have going forward for the business and that maybe that first year did it affect yeah. supply chain going forward logistics what was that like so I remember our distributors. So for our first order, you know, they were saying to us as the pandemic was unfolding, they're like, listen, we don't know what's going to happen. It seems like consumers are really gravitating to brands they're familiar with, but we're going to give it a shot. We're going to take a small order. Yeah. And I think they ordered a couple thousand cases. Um, and so they took the product. It started to get out on shelf. I remember calling. So the first ever store that we saw it went into, I called the store and I was like, do you have Lone River Ranch water? Like, has anybody come in to buy it? And they're like, or yeah. already sold. And so that was a moment where I was like, okay, like I think we might be on to something. So very quickly, within weeks of that order dropping, we were sold out of all of our inventory and our distributor was asking us to double, triple, quadruple our orders. Wow. And so that then, you know, we started to put all of our energy into scaling up our supply chain and really getting more sophisticated because you know, at that time there was a global aluminum can shortage. And so we yeah. had to get very creative in terms of like how we were sourcing cans and getting to them to the right places and expanding our capacity. And mm -hmm. so, um, but we knew that like, this was a really critical moment of growth for us. Yeah. So if we could just get our product to shelf, it would make a world of difference. And it was worth like the extra expense. It was mm -hmm. worth the extra hours. Yeah, what would you grant that demand to? And especially the early stages, what marketing did you guys do? And then you can also kind of describe how, what works for you guys today because beverages specifically are gauged towards taste and marketing typically. So what worked for you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of in um, the beer business, especially like a lot of the tried and true ways of um, introducing a new product to the market are sampling. So yeah. just, you know, getting liquid to lips, getting the product in people's hands. And that tactic was completely taken off the table during COVID. Obviously, yeah. stores were very limited. There were no samplings happening anywhere. So we had already planned to take really, and I think this kind of connects to your background, mm -hmm. um, take a digital first approach to like how we were marketing our product. And we invested really heavily um, out the gates in social media, doing like a performance-based um media approach there that mm -hmm. is similar to how a lot of dtc brands operate in terms of how they're using social media advertising yeah and we were just taking tons and tons of assets and seeing what was resonating most with the consumers and then um, our investment would kind of funnel its way into those you know assets that were working the hardest for, for us sure. and then we were driving them to what we call like our most valuable action which was actually getting people to our website to our store locator because at the time when you're scaling up distribution like one of the biggest challenges is you're driving this awareness but then you have to really help the consumer and hold their hand yeah so that they can figure out where they can even buy it um for sure and so getting them to that store locator was like you know the kind of um like the golden ticket for us to just even get the consumer there and that's yeah. what a lot of our performance based um you know social advertising was really like contingent around. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think that was very, and that's really, that was, you know, the bulk of our investment from a marketing perspective from the beginning. And I, you know, social, I think beyond that, like organically became a very powerful platform for us just yeah. in allowing us to have like that one-on-one -on -one connection with our consumer. A lot of the people that we connected with, like that were some of our first consumers, we now like 
know their families. We see them in person all the time. Like they become real friends. Mm. And um, I think that was a big difference for me from working in advertising to having a brand that I owned and really could control a lot of the process around is I just my the consumers like and the people that were willing to put their money up to buy our product was such and still is like the ultimate point of pride yeah us like we wanted to know them we wanted to thank them like that is why our business exists for sure and i think sometimes when you are more disconnected from the consumer and working in a process maybe at an agency or at a bigger company like you forget Mm -hmm. that these consumers are real people yeah and i think that there's just it's something that i hope we never kind of lose that touch in our Mm. business no matter what our scale is yeah taking some of that feedback from that marketing what what would you say is the main demographic for lone river from the early days and did that shift and change at all going forward i mean it's really i would say the biggest shift for us has been the geographic Mm. evolution so when we first launched we launched only in texas and tennessee we're now a nationwide brand um so by way of that you know it's definitely expanded um it's definitely expanded like the consumer base and the demographic that we have beyond those geographies but i think there's like a certain psychographic that really connects all of the consumers no matter where they are Mm. um because i think like our brand we never wanted to just put a product on the shelf we wanted to create like a brand that people could connect to that represents a lifestyle. Yeah. And I think because it represents that lifestyle, there's a bigger piece of it that people can connect to. And that's why I think there's a lot of similarities in those psychographics. So there's people, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Might be able to like understand and resonate with this lifestyle just as much as somebody in like a small town that lives on a ranch in Mm. West Texas. For sure. Um, I'd like to um, taking um, some of the, the kind of these past couple of years that you guys have been in retail. Has direct consumer ever been in thought? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I mean, we always well, especially in the early days, we really wanted to do direct to consumer um, yeah. because we had so many people outside of Texas and Tennessee that wanted to buy the product but couldn't. Hmm. However, you know the regulatory. Um, considerations in the alcohol business, it just, it was too much for us to take on in conjunction with all the disruption that happened during the pandemic. For sure. So it just, um, it was something that, you know, our small team just couldn't, couldn't manage, you know, like everything else that we were trying to navigate at the time. No, that makes sense for sure. Well, Katie, I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Um, If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would that be? Um, You know, I think just to go back to the earlier part of our conversation Mm. is just the importance of saying yes. Mm. You know, always finding a way way to say yes. It's so much easier to say no. And I think... You know, there's definitely, as your business grows and pressure increases, it's very easy to say no when you're very aware of the risk involved. Mm. But, you know, I think saying yes gets you to a place where you're 
you're operating with a growth mindset. Mm. Um, and as a small business, growth is more important than anything else. Mm. Um, so I think it's just always finding a way to say yes, even okay. if it's not the yes that maybe somebody wanted, like find a way to say yes to what they're asking, but maybe in a way that feels a little bit more comfortable for mm. you. For sure. Amazing. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Lone River at LoneRiverBevco.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.